Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Jesus, Paul, and Indiana Jones were all tested in the desert. What did they find that might help us? Join us for the message, Into the Desert. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, Jesus, Paul, and Indiana Jones were all tested in the desert. So what did they find in the desert that might be helpful to us today? Well, later on, we'll have the message into the desert. We have two scripture readings for today. First one comes from Mark verses one, nine, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, my son, my beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Our sex, second scripture comes from John 5, 1 through 9, B, an edited version. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there's a pool called, the Hebrew, in Hebrew, Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the stirring of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well for whatever disease that person had. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well. He took up his mat, and he began to walk. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The story of the temptation of Jesus in the desert is one of the most provocative stories in the gospel. Now, the gospel of Mark that we just read gives us the short version of the story, but both Matthew and Luke elaborate then on the details. And according to Matthew and Luke's version, after 40 days of fasting in the desert, Jesus is famished. So Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. To which Jesus replied, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So next, Satan takes Jesus to the highest pinnacle of the temple and says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Satan then offers scripture quotes to back up his saying, but Jesus replies, Again, it's written, Do not put the Lord, uh, the Lord your God to the test. And so finally, Satan takes Jesus to the high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. 
Well, at that point, Satan leaves, and Jesus is ministered to by the angels. Now, Mark also has this very interesting detail. Mark says that the wild beasts are there. Now, some interpreters teach that these wild beasts were trying to attack Jesus, and therefore the angels were there protecting him. Well, other scholars say that the mention of the animals was designed to evoke in the mind of the reader the Garden of Eden, since part of Jesus' mission was to undo the damage that had been done there. And therefore, the angels were not protecting Jesus from the animals. The angels were ministering to Jesus with the animals. And kind of think about the peaceable kingdom and so even these wild beasts were as lambs there to Jesus' touch. As you might imagine, I much prefer that interpretation. Well, after this time of testing, Jesus emerged from the desert, and he's ready to begin his ministry in Galilee. Jesus was initially driven into the desert by the Holy Spirit following his baptism by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul also went to the desert after his best baptism but that story is not as, wildly, excuse me, as widely known. If you recall, Paul started out as a persecutor of Christians. In fact, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest some Christians when the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a blinding light. And then using the Hebrew form of his name, Paul heard a voice ring out. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. Paul was temporarily blinded by this light, so they had to lead him by the hand into Damascus. But within days, he was baptized, and his sight was restored. And Paul later wrote about the time immediately following his baptism, later on when he wrote the letter to the Galatians. He said, You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. But when God was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Like Jesus, Paul journeyed to the desert after he was baptized, and he stayed for quite some time there. And many scholars think Paul may have gone to the Nabataean kingdom. Now, the Nabataean kingdom, this was southeast of Jerusalem. In fact, it was southeast of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. And he may have then stayed at the great ancient city of Petra. Now, you may be familiar with Petra, or at least a part of it, because in the movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, it is to Petra to which Indiana arrives in his quest through the desert to go find the Holy Grail. And I had the privilege of actually visiting Petra myself, and it really is a truly amazing place. You go for a mile through this slot canyon with these very high walls, both on either side, about 100 feet high. And you see the slot canyon actually in the movie as well. And the canyon is just so narrow that you have to take your journey either by foot or on horseback, which is how I did it. And as you make your way through that very, very last turn, Suddenly you're through it, and then you encounter the same magnificent facade that greeted Indiana Jones. There we go. After I arrived, it looked just like it did in the movie on the outside. But I will say that when I went inside, 
I found no treacherous pathway, no medieval night, and no holy grail. And I was very disappointed at that point. I know. Well, the gospel tells us that it was the Holy Spirit who drove Jesus in the desert following his baptism. And in the book of Acts, it says that Ananias, who was sent to heal Paul's blindness, said this. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, it seems the Holy Spirit has a habit of sending people out into the desert. This desert experience strengthens and prepares a person for the ministry that lies ahead. Now, of course, most of us are never going to go off alone in the desert. We're never going to be tested in precisely that way. But make no mistake. We will go through our own desert experiences as just part of our life in the spirit. In fact, just as part of human life, period. We're going to undergo trials and we're going to undergo temptations. Times of challenges and times of confrontation. And the times in our lives where we go through the most profound change are not the easy times, but rather those times that just tie us into knots. As the spiritual writer Richard Foster said, there are times we experience a Sahara of the heart. Like Jesus or Paul, our desert experience can happen either after our initial conversion or after baptism, but actually they can happen any time that we face great challenges in our lives. But many times they occur during a season of gut-wrenching loss or grief. Now, of course, every person faces such times in their lives, but I think the more space that we allow in our lives, in our hearts and minds, for the Holy Spirit to direct us, then the more that these times can change us for the better, because we have to go through them anyway. At least that way they change us for the better. And they lead to new joys then that we never anticipated. But for these positive and very joyful sometimes results to happen, it is imperative to face our desert experiences, especially our temptations, head on. Now think about the story of Jesus' temptation. When Jesus was confronted by Satan, he could have just immediately said, away with you, Satan. But Jesus decided to confront his temptations. He heard the devil out, he confronted his temptations, and he responded decisively. So we cannot just ignore or deny that which tempts us. I've known so many people who have fallen into bad habits or even addiction in order to prevent having to face up to other hurts in their lives. And then after a while, even the addiction is denied and swept under the rug. And so to once again find that place of joy and peace, those with addictions have to face down the addiction and then confront the inner wounds that led to the addiction in the first place. But I've also seen this happen. For those who are willing to face the addiction and the underlying wounds, these are some of the bravest people I've ever met. And though they occasionally stumble, I support them wholeheartedly. I also know people, including clergy, who have fallen into adulterous sexual relationships because they neglected to face issues from their past or neglected to address unmet current needs or they failed to recognize the temptation that was right in front of them until it was too late. They were not prepared when temptation reared its head. 
And these are people who are deeply Christian and are ordinarily very ethical people. But before they knew it, they had gotten themselves embroiled in a white-hot mess. I once saw a TV profile of a Christian married couple who were able to work through the aftermath of an affair. And looking back at what they had been through, the husband, who was the one who had had the affair, he said something though that I thought was very haunting. He said, I didn't know life could be this painful. Well, the thing is, it's not always the big things that tempt us. Sometimes it's the smaller things that tempt us and make our lives more difficult, such as the need to be in control, always wanting your way, pretending you're something you're not, overworking, the inability to say no, refusing to ask for help, always trying to please other people, being too concerned with success or achievement, being resistant to new ideas or the fear of change. And this list could just go on indefinitely. But I bet you there's not a person here that couldn't relate to at least one or two of those things that I just mentioned. And I've asked this what I think is a provocative question before. I found it provocative when it was first asked of me. What does Satan whisper in your ear? A little voice of temptation. Now, I know some of us believe very strongly in the existence of Satan. Others of us see Satan more as a metaphorical character. But regardless, evil can and does exert a very real presence and power in this world. And if evil is unable to trip you up in the big things, then evil is going to try to trip you up with the smaller temptations. And so those often come with that whisper in the ear, it'll be okay if I do this this time. I'll say no next time someone asks me to do one more thing to put on my plate. Next time, I'll be more accommodating. Every one of us has those few favorite sins that we keep going back to time and again. Our real day-to-day -day temptations. And, the, and the, temp the small temptations for us may be totally different than the person sitting next to us, but we all have them. And we all get really frustrated with ourselves sometimes. We can't seem to overcome what really are fairly minor faults, and yet we just keep repeating them over and over and over again. I know I find that incredibly frustrating. Well, that's when we need to get real and to get really honest with God and with ourselves, and then maybe to ask another very provocative question, the same question that Jesus asked. Do you really want to be made well? In the gospel story that Kathy read earlier, Jesus has returned to Jerusalem for a festival. And while there, Jesus happens to go by the pool of Bethesda. And he sees many disabled people, but one man out of all those people just gets Jesus' attention. We're told the man had been there 38 years waiting for healing. And Jesus asks him what appears to be an obvious question. Do you want to be made well? Instead of a yes or no answer, the man replies that he has no one who will help him get down into the water because it's believed that from time to time an angel of the Lord would, would disturb the water and then the first person who could get into the pool, they were the ones that were going to be healed. And he was never quick enough nor had anyone to help him get into the water as the first one. So at that point, Jesus says to the man, stand up, take your mat and walk. And it says immediately the man was healed, he collected his mat and he began to walk about. 
But I've always really been intrigued by Jesus' question. Do you want to be made well? Because a part of us really does want to be healed. We want to be made well. We want to be rid of any afflictions that we carry. But oftentimes, there's a little part of us inside that desires something different. Because sometimes the implications of healing can just be too threatening for us. It may require us to finally take responsibility for our lives, our situations. It may require effort that is potentially tiring or exhausting. It can propel us into unknown territory where we're unsure what to do next. We may no longer know where it is that we're going. So while the current situation may be undesirable, at least it's predictable, and therefore it offers some form of comfort. And then we can develop this kind of inertia about our lives that makes it difficult to change. And this may lead someone then to ask us, do you really want to be made well? Because if we're honest, there can be a payoff from being sick or wounded. I know a person who suffered from terrible debilitating migraine headaches and the situation progressed until he was literally spending half of his days in bed. And when the doctor referred him to a neurologist who specialized in migraines, he never made an appointment. And when new treatments for migraines became available, he never sought them out. Now the migraines may have caused excruciating pain, but there was also a payoff. It was an excuse not to face the tough issues in his life. Often in our lives, these payoffs send us right off into a desert experience. And we'll need to decide if we will succumb to the temptations that Satan is whispering there in our ears or not. But we don't have to face these temptations alone. The Holy Spirit may drive us to the desert, but the Holy Spirit also stays there with us. The desert may be a place of desolation, but God speaks to us in the desert because uh, sometimes being in the desert of temptation is the only thing that'll get our attention. The only time that we get quiet enough to hear the Holy Spirit over the voice of temptation. And I love this quote from one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God is shouting in our pain, trying to get our attention. One way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, as we know, is through Scripture, especially the Scripture we carry around in our own hearts and minds. When we immerse ourselves in Scripture on a regular basis, then generally we will, we will soak in and even memorize some of those words of Scripture and actually have them inside of us when we need them. Because that's what Jesus did when he faced Satan. He already had internalized so much of Scripture. We can only be immersed in Scripture, however, if we actually spend time reading Scripture. And not just reading it, but truly studying, pondering, meditating, and then internalizing the Bible. Years ago, and some of you have done this, um, I was on a walk to Emmaus retreat. And one of the exercises that we did was um, how much of the Bible can you recite 
without looking, which is an interesting experience. Um, I did have a little bit of advantage since I've been to seminary. But there were people, though, still who could quote more scripture than I could. But you notice, Satan could also quote scripture. Therefore, we need interpretive skills to aid us. So not only does the Holy Spirit speak through scripture, the Spirit speaks to us through the other sources that we've talked about that make up the Wesleyan quadrilateral, quadrilateral the sources of theological truth that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, taught and identified as tradition, experience, and reason. One other important factor in resisting temptation, it is of utmost importance for us to take care of ourselves, not in a selfish or a self-centered way, but in a way so that we can be a real service to God and neighbor. And so this means not only taking care of our spiritual needs, but emotional and mental and physical needs as well. Because so often, when we bend to temptation, it's because we have allowed ourselves to become weary or tired or empty. As they say on the plane, you need to put your own oxygen mask on first before you're going to be any use to anyone else. And don't be so proud that you're not willing to be ministered to by the angels. In the midst of his temptation, even Jesus had the angels waiting on him. Nowadays, angels usually present themselves in the form of other people, family, friends, members of your church, strangers even. Sometimes angels appear in the form of wild beasts. I live with four of them. <laughs> and don't hesitate to be an angel for others. The desert can be a place of trial and testing, but the Lord has the power to make the desert bloom, as the prophet Isaiah wrote. The desert shall rejoice and blossom, for water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The desert may be a place of temptation, but I can tell you it's also a place of grace. You can say that the holy grail of grace awaits you in the desert. Just ask Indiana Jones. Amen. Receive this benediction. You've been brought safely out of the wilderness, so be the light to anyone you meet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday as we continue our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, God on Fire. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.